Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. And it's so great to see all of you here this morning. Let me say welcome to all of you joining us online for a very special day in our church's history as we are finishing up a series uh, entitled The Kingdom is Here, where we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah uh, since last fall, a little, uh, little over four months. Um, so we've been, we've been here for a while. But we're going to wrap that up today. So if you have a Bible, either hard copy, electronic device, you want to open to the last chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 13, uh, we'll be in there in just a little bit. I pray that this series, for those who have been around for the series, I pray that it's been a blessing to you. I know at times it's been challenging to us. It's been convicting. Hopefully it's been uh, equipping and transformational as we've walked through uh, the words that Nehemiah has given us here. Um, and if you're new with us, if you're visiting with us, if you're a guest here, first of all, we're honored and we're blessed to have you join us either online or in person. Um, and uh, we are excited that you're here on this day in the life of our church. Again, a special day uh, for our church. And I'm so glad um, that we're having this day as we've been preparing for quite a while. Like I said, over four months we've been praying, we've been discussing, we've been talking, we've been, you know, thinking, praying some more, talking some more, praying some more. Um, just been in this season of preparation for today and to the weeks and the months and the years ahead until Jesus comes home. And so um, it's a very important moment in our church's life. And um, it's probably the, the biggest moment in my leadership here in this position um, that I've ever had. It's the largest step of faith that I've been involved in uh, in the church. And so please know, I don't take this moment lightly. Uh, it, it, is, it, it weighs, it is, it is heavy. It's not something that we enter into lightly as we join together to make commitments because we believe God is leading us and inviting us to be a part of the next chapter of our church's life and history and um, the legacy that he will have here for our church, for his glory and for the exaltation of King Jesus, which is what we're all about here. And so today is our Commitment Sunday. Last week, Pastor Mark shared with you the commitment cards that we invited you, if God is leading you, to go ahead and grab one of those and take it home this past week and, you know, just seek God in prayer and seek where he may be leading you and your family and, um, and where the Lord might be taking you in this journey that we are starting today. We understand and know and we respect and honor this is a personal decision to be involved uh, in this. And this is between you and the Lord and where he has you uh, with this church, his church. And uh, we want to make sure that we don't manipulate or coerce or any of those types of things uh, you know, into a commitment without God's leading. We truly trust the Holy Spirit to lead you to make that decision. And if you need more time... Uh, we certainly honor and respect that. Please take more time. And if, again, if you are new with us, 
If this is, if you've been visiting for a little while or this is new to you for the very first time, um, please feel no pressure to be a part of this right now. Obviously, we would invite you and would love for you to join with us, but that would only be as God leads you. So at the end of our time together, we're going to have um, a moment where you can respond as God has led you. Uh, but before that, let's get into Nehemiah chapter 13. Starting next week, uh, we will begin a new series, 1 Timothy 4.12. We've entitled that series, Be an Example. That will lead us to Good Friday and Easter. It's crazy we're that close to Good Friday and Easter. And then, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, right? That's what we say. Uh, we will start the book of Hebrews after Easter, and that will take us all the way to Christmas. And so um, as we study through Hebrews, we're going to see that Christ is greater. Christ is greater than all things. And so chapter 13, almost every commentary and every writer comes to the same conclusion, and it's this. Nehemiah would have had a great ending if it would have ended in chapter 12. <laughs> If you have read chapter 13 or if you've looked over chapter 13, uh, you would maybe connect with that, relate with that. So at the end of 12, we have the wall is complete. The temple you know, has been done. The reforms are enacted. Everyone is celebrating. It's great. And then you get the 13, chapter 13, and it looks like, the like everything's gone. Like this has gone off the rails. Like things have gone off the rails, right? And so we're left asking the question, why? W wouldn't it have been much more encouraging to finish on a high note like chapter 12? Why does Nehemiah include chapter 13? One writer said the answer to that question is at least hinted at in Romans 15. Paul writes in Romans 15 verse 4, For whatever was written in former days, that includes Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we could say Nehemiah 13 is about endurance. It's about encouragement. It's about hope. So as we begin this journey today together and where God is leading us to take this bold step of faith, we need all three of those. And we're going to need all three of those along the way, encouragement, hope, and endurance, sharing those with one another, holding on to these as God gives them to us. And so we're going to see through the text that in spite of all the great intentions of God's people, and even in their failures, and all that, God remains faithful. He remembers us, and we praise God for that. Now, if we're to do a side-by-side -side comparison of chapter 13 to chapter 10, we would see that the people failed to keep several of the promises that they had made to God. So chapter 10 is where these commitments to God were made. These promises to God were made. Uh, Nehemiah had led the people to have this moment of, of, uh, of surrender and submission and, and, and committing again to the, the, the ways of God and to the works of God. And then in chapter 13, when we look at it closely, it shows us that they have failed in all of those commitments. So a quick recap. To understand the events of this chapter 13, it's good to know the commitments the people of God made back in chapter 10. The people made God glorifying commitments. These were not something that was simple. These were big. These were huge in their life and in their culture and their, in their, in their society for them to make these commitments. And they were to assure one another that they would live lives distinct from the surrounding peoples. That's one of the commitments they made. And that they would offer complete obedience to God's word and they'd observe and do all that was written there. But as again, we see in 13, that didn't, didn't actually play out like that. The promises that they made, here's a few of them. And these will connect to what happens in 13. 
that there would be no mixed marriages. And, and please don't read that in the wrong way or take it out of context. This wasn't racial prohibition. This is not what was talked about here. This was religious commitment to purity that God had given them as a people. It was obedience to God's command. Another one was that, that they promised that the Sabbath day would be kept holy. They promised that they would pay the tithe and the temple tax and because the work of the temple was expensive. They promised that they would supply the wood for the altar. And it's noted that the altar was massive in scale, which meant that it would require a lot of wood. But they would supply it. The altar burned, by the way, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. It never went out. It was to never go out. And so that took a lot of labor. But they had promised, we'll make sure that the fire does not go out and that they would provide the wood for the fire. They promised that they would not neglect the house of their God. Multiple times towards the end of chapter 10, they repeated the house of our God. This will be our highest priority. That's the commitment. So those are the commitments that were made, that the people made, that, that they came together in unity and said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to make these commitments. They're God-glorifying commitments. We are going to fulfill these commitments. And then we get to chapter 13. And if you look in chapter 13 with me, chapter 13, verses 6, in the first part of 7. Look at what Nehemiah writes. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked of the king, verse 7, and came to Jerusalem, and look at, look at this next little part, and then I discovered. So, so, so this brings us to this, and I bring us to this moment in the chapter because it's the hinge. It's the hinge. Nehemiah has traveled back to the king of Persia. Remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. So he served at the pleasure of the king. He served in the royal court. And so he, was, he had went back after governing for 12 years. He would went back now to the king of Persia. And he's been gone a little bit. We don't know exactly how long he's been gone. But he's been gone. And then he comes back. And upon his arrival back in Jerusalem, he discovers, right? And then I discovered the people have done what? They've drifted. They've compromised. They've, they've forgotten the commitments that they have made just a few chapters before then. And from this point, we see Nehemiah finding, discovering, and even it's, he says, in those days. So he's referring to that this is what they were doing, right? Verses 10, 15, and 23 in chapter 13. And he begins to serve to co correct all the wrongs. He begins to try to bring everything back to center. He begins to try to put things back on the rails, if you will. And what we see is that this chapter shows us this need, this need for ongoing renewal. That we don't get over the gospel, that we make commitments, we understand the gospel's work in our lives. We know God's work in our lives. We know our participation in that work in, uh, in our lives with God, the Holy Spirit's work. We don't, we don't move past that. We don't, we don't ever just say, well, that, that was at a moment of conversion or at a moment of surrender. That was that, and now I've just moved on. No, we need this ongoing, constant need for reformation, for transformation, for renewal. Because what we've learned here is this hard-won spiritual victories. And, if, and again, if you were with us and if you studied the life of the people here, these victories that they had, these spiritual victories... These hard-won spiritual victories can be rapidly forgotten and lost. How guilty of that are we? 
that, that there's a day where we've made commitments and we've surrendered and we're in a posture of submission to, to the Lord and the next thing we know we're, we're off the rails. We're doing things that we didn't think we would do. And we see Nehemiah and his concern here is for God's glory. We've said that over and over. And because of his concern for God's glory, what's he do? He confronts and he, he begins to correct. Now for our sake this morning, we'll not detail out each failure Let's see them in the flow as they were promised in chapter 10. Remember, again, the last part of chapter 10 was the house of our God will be our highest priority. And the failure begins when Nehemiah discovered that a man by the name of Tobiah has made his way into the holy place, a place set aside for the worship of God. Now, again, if you've been with us or if you've studied the book of Nehemiah before, you've heard this name, Tobiah. In fact, he shows up five times in the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 2 is the first time he shows up. And that's when he comes in and he disrupts, you know, he really disrupts what's happening there. And he's, he's angry that the Israelites are starting to rebuild the wall. He doesn't want anything that promotes the, this welfare of the Israelites. In chapter 4, he's ridiculing the work Later at the end of the chapter, he's involved in this subversive activity to try and get them to stop. In chapter 6, he's involved in a plot to murder Nehemiah, to lure him away from the city to kill him. And the next time we hear about Tobiah, verse 5 of chapter 13, he's living in the temple. He's living in a sacred room in the temple courts. God's people had allowed an enemy of God the enemy of God's people, to make his way into the place that should be kept holy. Now, commentators, writers, talk about the application. And I'll just throw this out there. In our own introspection of our own lives, as we read this actually happening with the temple and people, but as we know, with Christ, we are a temple for the Holy Spirit. And so what have we let into our lives that is an enemy of God? What have we allowed into our lives that becomes an idol or leads us to worship something other than Christ? So we can look at this and we can look at what happens with the people and how they so quickly fall apart or or compromise or drift away from their, their promises and their commitments. But let's not be so quick to judge Because how easy and how often does this happen in our own lives? So Nehemiah in verse 8, this is what he says. And I was angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Now, can you imagine the scene here if if, if it was actually Nehemiah? Now, remember, Nehemiah, he's, uh, he's pretty important as far as the leader of the group here. He probably had people do this. But as he's writing it, it could have actually been him because of the zeal that he had for God's glory and God's house. He throws the furniture out. He removes Tobiah, right? I think it's safe to say that, you know, his zeal and his, his desire for God's glory to be known by all people, that's one of the reasons why he went back to rebuild the walls, is on full display in this chapter because it doesn't stop with Tobiah. In fact, Nehemiah is so concerned for the ritual purity of God's house that in the and the moral purity of God's people that he moves out and starts correcting all of these failed commitments. The other commitments they failed to keep, 
verses 10 through 14, the resources that they had promised to give for the ongoing work of the temple, they had stopped providing that. Money, food, oil, even the firewood for the altar. Time, the Sabbath, verses 15 to 22. They had made a commitment. We just saw that. They had made a commitment to keep the Sabbath, but they violated it. Relationships, verses 23 to 29. It's really the three big ones. Generations that would come after, if they were lost to the world, away from the holiness of God, what would become of God's people? That's where the purity piece was. He even talks about not even knowing the language of Judah. And we see Nehemiah's holy anger there in verse 8. But look at these other places that we see him confronting and correcting. Verse 17. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Verse 21, but I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall if you do so? Listen to this. If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know how big of a guy Nehemiah was, but apparently when he threatened to forcibly remove you, uh, you didn't come back. Verse 25, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. In all these verses, we see Nehemiah's correcting. He's confronting and he's correcting to the commitments and to the word of God that had been given to them to guide their lives. This wasn't, this wasn't you know, keeping them from experiencing something. This was helping them to walk with God in obedience, diligence, and for his holiness. Now, the last, that last one I read might seem a little harsh, but don't read it out of context. Again, this was most likely a formal rebuking. When he talks about, you know, confronting them, cursing them, beating some of them, pulling out their hair, this is most likely a formal rebuking of the sin and the failed commitment they had made. It's not some, you know, rage-filled Nehemiah running, running around the temple and just grabbing people's hair and pulling it out. And, and, and just striking people. That's not what was happening. Nehemiah's heart was for God's glory. And for the people to know God and that glory. So this was heavy for Nehemiah. This was very important. And as we come to the close of the book of Nehemiah, this last chapter, again revealing these great intentions as we finished up this book, that were held by God's people, yet their failure and their sin and their brokenness, and then silence for 400 years from God. Nehemiah, while it's not placed at the end of the Old Testament, in the Bible, chronologically, it's the end of the story before the 400 years intertestamental period. So after this, it goes silent for 400 years. The people of God have had prophets, they've had kings, they've had leaders, but then silence. This is the last chapter. Now Malachi, who appears last in the Old Testament, a minor prophet, he was a contemporary of Nehemiah. In fact, most, most commentators and scholars believe that Malachi probably wrote his book, his prophecy, during that time that Nehemiah was back in Susa, where the king of Persia was when he went back in that undetermined amount of time because he writes about the people's failure to bring the tithe, if you remember Malachi. So here we have coming to the end of Nehemiah, again, serving diligently to course correct Nehemiah. That's what he's doing, to course correct the sin and the failure of God's people. And then it goes silent. 
for 400 years. And I think of what Paul writes in Romans 7. And maybe you can connect with this because this seems to sum up a lot of what it seems like the people here in a time of Nehemiah were struggling with. Paul writes this. This is the Apostle Paul, okay? Romans 7, verse 19. This is a, a, a verse that's very close to my heart. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. How many, how many can relate? Anybody? Am I the only one? Thank you for joining me and not leaving me out here. I feel like that. I've had those moments, had those days. Certainly the people in Nehemiah's time had to feel like that, even though they didn't have Paul's writing, right? To feel like that. And then in Romans 7, verse 24, Paul writes, after that in verse 19, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because when you keep doing the things you don't want to do, you don't do the things that you want to do, you get to a place where you cry out. And that's what Paul was doing here. Except for Nehemiah, it would have stopped at who will deliver me. Because we had 400 years of silence. Nehemiah would have ended with that, right? Who will deliver me? That's the question that rang out for, for God's people. 400 years, who will deliver us? Who will rescue us? Who will save us? And what does Nehemiah leave the, the people of God with that rings in their ears for that time? What's the promise what gives them the endurance, the encouragement, and the hope? Well, it kind of comes in the form of a prayer that happens three different times in, verse 13, in chapter 13. Look at the very last phrase that he says in verse 31. The very last thing. What's he say? Remember me, oh my God, for good. It's the last thing Nehemiah writes. And then 400 years of silence. And God's people read this record. It's shared, right, among the generations through that time. The story, and it ends with this. Remember us. Remember us. Remember us, Lord. Remember us. Act on our behalf. Deliver us. Rescue us. Act in a manner consistent with your character and your promise, who is, who is able to keep his promises. And that's exactly what God did. It's exactly what God did. See, the great news, church, is that that's what he did. He acted, right? He has acted, and we are blessed on this side of the resurrection to know that, that there is hope, and there is encouragement, and there is endurance. And where is it found? It's found in Christ. Look again at Romans 7. See, the very next verse after 24, which ends with, who will deliver me from this body of death, we get verse 25 that says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the verse we get. 
That's the verse that speaks to us. Hope, encouragement, endurance. We know those days where we're not doing the things we should do and we're doing the things that we shouldn't do that we get to a place in those days where we say, who is going to save me and deliver me from this? And this isn't just for non-Christian. This is for Christian. This is those moments where we slide away, we drift away from the center, from those commitments, from the gospel of God's grace saving us. And we get to that place, but we get verse 25 that says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the hope. Jesus is the one who rescues us. And we have the grace of telling the world that. That's what we get to do. I hope every Christian, every disciple of Christ understands the grace of being a part of the missional work of God. We get that grace as it has come to us. We get to tell it to others. There was a v video a few years ago that, that went a little viral. You may have seen this, of a little boy kicking a soccer ball towards a goal at a professional soccer game. It was like kind of at halftime or intermission or, or, or maybe even before the game. And he's kicking... He might not have been two or three years old, and he's kicking this ball towards the goal, and he trips several times trying to kick this ball. And he falls down, but he gets back up. And as the video is playing, the fans start to react to this little boy, and they start to cheer him on, and they start to encourage him. And eventually he gets to the end of kicking the ball to the goal, and he kicks the ball in the goal. And the crowd goes crazy. Let me show you the clip. Uh, I have to say thank you also to my teammates. They not only these ones, but the, all the other ones that I play with, and they were fantastic. video stands out because someone commented on it and said this is how the angels in heaven react when a sinner comes home to Jesus amen I would go as far as to say it's how the angels react when a Christian is renewed who has drifted and now is home again and maybe you feel like that little boy stumbling trying, falling. Maybe you've had your misadventures, your messes, broken past. Your life is filled with like that stumbling and falling along the way. But I hope you don't assume that it's too dark, that it's too messy, that it's too late, or it's too much for your faithful God. 
He knows you. And as Nehemiah said, he remembers. And we remember the cost by which he remembers us. Don't ever let that slip from our attention. Jesus' words as he gave up his life on the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It could also be said this way, why have you forgotten me? Why are you not remembering me? The father forgot his son, abandoned, forsook his son to ensure us that he would never forget us. Let that sink in. It's a blood-bought promise. Remember the cost by which he remembers us. Come home. Even if you've tripped, fallen, stand back up. Not only are the angels in heaven cheering you on and encouraging you, we as a church who loves Jesus, loves you, and encourages you to come home, confess, believe, repent, trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior, your life. Come home. And as we remember the cost by which He remembers us, it should lead us to remember the God who remembers us. That's our hope for all to know. That's our hope. That's what we want others to know. The God who gave His Son for us in His death and His resurrection and His coming again. We have a hope. Church, we have an encouragement. We have an endurance. As we enter into this journey, as we begin, we want our house, this house, this campus, to be a lighthouse. We want it to simply be a lighthouse. For those who are stumbling and falling and maybe drifting and floating away. This is a, a visual of what we believe God wants this campus to be for people. every person to see the light of Christ for it saves and it sets free we want our campus to be a lighthouse of hope a refuge of hope for the generations to come until Jesus comes back may God use this campus for his glory, for the expansion of the gospel to the multitudes, and that no person will be left behind. All people in all places, we wouldn't miss one. But God, give us the grace to minister to them all. 25 years. This fall, our church will celebrate 25 years of being a church. It's a big accomplishment for a church. The first 25 years, God has been steadfast and faithful. 
He sustained this church through ups and downs, and he continues to do that. And I have no doubt in my mind that he will continue to do that again until we're all home. This is his church. Jesus is the senior pastor. It is for their glory and none of ours. Imagine with me the next 25 years, God guiding us into the next chapter of the story of our church to see another 25 years of grace-filled ministry to the multitudes that are here and that are still to come. We get the privilege of knowing our work together now will be a great help to those who come after us in service to the kingdom. Imagine when God finishes his campus, the families, the moms, the dads, the sons, the daughters, the grandmas, the grandpas, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the neighbor, the co-worker, and that list goes on and on. Imagine the homecoming. Imagine the homecoming we all experience in heaven together. Imagine the joy to know that God gave us the privilege of joining him again in his missional work here on earth so that none will perish. The smiles, the hugs, the happy tears, the laughter, the hope, the future that all, all us and those this church will share the grace of Jesus with and the salvation of Christ all will experience. Imagine all those emotions and moments we will experience in heaven together for all eternity. Glorious homecoming for God's kingdom. And there is, again, as I said, there's no greater kingdom. This is the journey we begin together today. There's an old proverb that says, a thousand mile journey begins with the first few steps. And I use it often in the weddings that I have the privilege to officiate in the moment where the father gives away the bride. I think it's appropriate for today. And although we all hope that it won't be a thousand miles, (laughs) no matter what, listen, no matter what, we step with Jesus daily, faithfully, courageously, and obediently until he brings it to pass. That's what we're inviting you. Thank you for allowing this to come to us. And I say that with the most sincerity and genuineness I can say it. Thank you for allowing us to have God lead us to this place. And I say personally, thank you, whether you participate in this or not. It's a great humbling honor great humbling honor to serve alongside you in the kingdom. I look forward to the, what God has for us in the new season. And I do believe it'll be for his glory and his praise and his salvation and his grace. And so today we begin a journey for three years, a commitment of three years to see what God will do with us and what God will do through us. As I've mentioned, this is big. It's bigger than anything I've ever been a part of, which I'm grateful because God gave me something that I have to hold on to him. It's $15 million to see this expansion complete. It's a giant step of bold faith. So we're starting that today to begin this journey. And along the way, God's going to give us victories and milestones to celebrate, and we are going to do that. Please don't forget, this is about people. This is never to be about a building or dirt or asphalt or parking. This is about people. 
and it will always be about people. So the band's going to come out, and they're going to lead us in one of my absolute favorite songs called Homecoming, because that's the desire of my heart, is to take as many people home until God takes me home. And as this song is played, if God has led you to be a part of this commitment and this journey with us, you'll have a moment where you can turn in your cards. You don't have to wait for the band to sing. You don't have to do it in this moment. You can do it at any time. But if God is leading you and you want to do that, there are boxes at the crosses. There are boxes at every door. We trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you. I hope and pray that we understand together that this is God's. This isn't about me. This isn't about our leadership, our staff. This is about Jesus and his glory. And for lost people struggling in a darkness to come home and find Christ, that we understand that privilege May we never take it lightly. Father, God, I'm humbled, extremely humbled to be a part of your church, taking a bold step, a courageous step with you, knowing that the entire time our arms have to be wrapped around you and in nothing else. And then on this on this journey, we have to keep our eyes on you. God, help us. Help us keep our eyes on you. And one day, God, may we celebrate this song that we're singing with the multitudes that you've allowed us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. That it be a glorious homecoming for moms and dads, for sons and daughters for aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, cousins, neighbors, co-workers, to those we don't even know. May we all celebrate together for your glory, for your kingdom, for Jesus. In his name, amen.